Wait. You don't sound autistic. Well, uh, what does an autistic person Wait. sound like? You're autistic? Yeah, I'm telling you that. You don't even look autistic. But, but we're talking about... Yeah, but, but I don't buy it. But I, I was diagnosed with autism and ADHD and anxiety and depression. You don't sound autistic. Welcome back to another episode of You Don't Sound Autistic. I'm Blake. And I'm Michelle. And I'm autistic. And I'm not. We like to remind everyone to subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform so you can be notified of the newest episodes when they're released. Also, join the Facebook group. Join the group. Join the conversation. That's, uh, I was going to say that's Facebook group. (laughs) That's You Don't Sound Autistic YDSA on Facebook. We like to welcome listeners from all over the country and all over the world and to all the new members on the Facebook group and everyone for sharing on the Facebook group. We really appreciate it. Um, It's always nice to see people chime in. Our goal is for you all to take over the group with conversations about neurodiversity and then we'll just be there to police everyone, to make sure everyone stays in line. To support everyone. To support everyone. You're such a Scorpio. Like a banana hammock. (laughs) Got a couple of those balls. You're funny. I know. Um, and check out the website, you don't sound autistic.com for episode show notes and links to reference materials and the episode posts. Check out the brain hugs or the shop to find the products we use to manage our daily lives. And for our new listeners, which we have a few, we do Rochelle. Oh, that's my cue. That is your cue. Oh, I'm asleep at the wheel. Hold on. Here we go. You Don't Sound Autistic is a mental and emotional health awareness podcast. Each week, we do our best to represent both neuroperspectives and talk about the continual discovery process of life on the spectrum. Our goal is to illuminate, uncover, and transparently discuss life with multi-diagnosis through a multi-generational neurodivergent lens. We follow an open, unscripted, conversational format that represents the real life back and forth of communication and collaboration. Even if you aren't raising the next generation, you'll find the comparison of the age groups helpful in seeing the more hidden patterns in the DNA of your lifestyle and lineage. Is that it? That's it. All right. Sounds like a good show. I'm excited to hear what you got to say. Yeah. Oh boy. Here we go. I like listening to this show. You do? Yeah. The I stopped listening. The guy is really funny. The guy's funny? Yeah. All right. Well, let's see how funny he is today. <laughs> uh, today, uh, just to let everyone know, don't turn it off. But um, I don't have a news minute or a pop minute this week. So we're just going to cover the, the topic at hand. And then I'll play some new music for you. And that'll be the end of the episode. Woo. Sound good? <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Uh, Today, I wanted to talk about ADHD, autism, and addiction. It's a good topic. It's an interesting topic, Uh, mostly stemming from my own addictions. So, um, take it away, Blake. So, huh? I'm proud of you for this. This is... Uh, this is a vulnerable conversation and one I think I know I need a drink <laughs> <laughs> how about some Axio no I don't want Axio Axio would help to regulate your brain and emotions well so I've always had like I remember when I was in uh, therapy when I was a I don't know a tween maybe 
<laughs> okay. Is that what they're still, do they still use that term? Yes. Tweens? Mm-hmm. So I was, yeah, I was going to therapy and I took a personality test and I took IQ tests because I was always, uh, I always was saying that I was dumb and. You I, thought you were dumb? Yeah, I thought I was dumb. Okay. Um, so like I would get, I was, you know, getting B's in school and I was like, B's are for idiots. I was like, you only like, you know, if, if it wasn't an A, it wasn't good enough kind of thing. And, uh, so my mom decided to have the therapist that I'd been seeing do an IQ test and I did okay, I guess. It was like 120. Uh, okay. And then, and he was like, I don't think you really tried very hard. And I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, that thing was super hard. Um, I've taken other IQ tests because I still feel like 120 seems low. <laughs> yeah. And it's been like 135 or 140. But 130 but is... But I think that those those were not regulated, so I don't really trust those other ones. Okay. Well, either way, you're not on... You're like on, you're on the high side of the IQ, my friend. Oh, I don't feel very smart. I still don't okay, feel but, very but smart. The, okay, but they're tracking different things. What you're talking about, you don't feel smart. Are you inadvertently combining social intelligence with intellect no i'm talking about like my memory my knowledge of things like i don't feel like i'm able to pull information the way what i would uh assume an intelligent person would do um sometimes the most intelligent people don't have great recall either what makes them intelligent is their ability to process well it's a personal experience rochelle no i know but 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 memory recall is not necessarily a, a mandatory portion of intelligence sometimes mental resourcefulness somewhere out there there's a man with a one inch penis okay he's like it's the biggest penis i've ever held okay i'm just saying that like my point of just you know throwing a dick joke but my point is you know it's it's based on your experience and so for me i don't feel as smart as i feel like i should be okay so anyway, so one of the other parts of the reason I bring up the IQ and everything was not to brag because uh, I'm so smart. Obviously, there's a little sarcasm in there, but it would the uh, another part of it was a personality test and the doctor and the doctor's like, you know, you have an addictive personality. And I was like, that's right. I was like, people can't get enough of me. And he's like, no, you have an addictive personality, meaning you're prone to addiction. Oh, okay. And so he's like, beware of that as you get older. And I was like, yeah, I'm never going to be addicted to anything. I'm not going to be like my mom and my dad and like half my family. Right. You know, who are smokers and drinkers and drug users. Right. Um, not naming names, but uh, family members and stuff. Sure. And, and anyway, so, you know, as I got, I uh, the first time I ever drank alcohol where it was like I was buzzed mm-hmm. i think i was like 13 whoa which um to me seemed pretty young and not just that so i was i was actually being <laughs> this is kind of funny i was being punished um i was staying with my it's confusing and, and ho- hopefully everyone out there can follow along with my line of thinking here rochelle keep me in line okay um but i went to go visit my sister for the summer Okay. So she was like, you know, she's 12 years older than me. So she was, you know, quote unquote, in charge of me sure. at the time. And I was supposed to be staying with her. And um, I got in trouble for whatever. I don't remember what I did. Uh, I was being a smart ass or something. And so she sent me to stay at my cousin's house and was like, you're going to do all their yard work. Hmm. 
you're going to mow their lawn, you're going to hedge, you know, trim the hedges, you're going to trim trees, you're going to be having a really rough day. So I go outside and I'm like mowing the lawn and like after like 20 minutes, my cousin brings me a beer. Okay. And we go inside and he's like, yeah, dude, I'll, he's like, I'll mow the lawn. Like, don't worry about it. Okay. He gives me a stack of like Playboys, <laughs> like like a bunch of like porno magazines, um, a couple of beers, and then like chew. Okay, like tobacco. Yeah. Okay. So for the longest, I don't know. If, did I ever tell you that? No. That I used to dip. No. Yeah. And it all started when I was like thirteen. Really? Because it gives you like when you first try it, it gives you like this funky buzz. Does it really? Oh my god! Yeah, like to the point where it like put me on my ass, and almost made me throw up. Does it really? Yeah, I've never known that. And so, my sister comes to pick me up after I've been hanging out and drinking and chewing tobacco <laughs> instead of all, doing all the yard all work. day, and she's like, "I hope you learned your lesson." <laughs> and I got a stack of Playboy magazine stuffed in my back pocket, like in like. In like between my underwear and my pants uh-huh. and in my shirt. Okay. Anyway, I could go off on that story for days because there's other crap that happened with that cousin, but the, I'm trying to stay focused on the that's ADHD hilarious. autism but and so addiction. You, but yeah. That's where that started. And you had never experienced substances that altered no, I mean, your... Not like to the point where I actually felt anything because right. I, with my stepdad being Italian, it's just part of the culture that like you can sometimes like they would let me have like a little tiny snifter of brandy or like a little bit of wine. Sure. But it was never, it was only enough to taste it. It wasn't enough to like, you wouldn't feel drunk. You would just be like, oh, that tastes like alcohol. Right. Um, And then when I was in high school... I had sports-induced asthma, mm-hmm. and I was on two inhalers, you know, like they have like the the kind of inhaler you're supposed to take every day regardless. Yeah, I'm on that one. And then the one that you're supposed to take as needed. The rescue inhaler. Yeah. No, I, I don't remember. Too. Okay. So I don't remember which one it was, but for some reason, I was like, instead of two puffs, what if I do like 50? Oh, God. You probably so I literally re- was like... <laughs> Until I couldn't. So it was probably the rescue inhaler, yeah. And then, well, it doesn't matter which one. I I, I don't recall. That's not the point. But the point is that I did that and I like tripped balls. I'll bet. And was like having. So to this day, it's I still have um, issues with. um, Like I don't like deja vu Mm -hmm. because I kept feeling like I was doing the same thing over and over again, and every time I did it, like it felt uncomfortable. What do you mean? Like every time you had to use your rescue and no, no, no. I'm saying like every time during that episode uh-huh. of like while the drugs were in my system. Okay. It felt like I was doing the same thing. In oh, a loop. you were stuck in loop. Yeah, you probably were. And well, don't say that. No, now, the, that makes me very anxious that you just said that. I'm sorry, but I probably was stuck in a loop. Chemically speaking, your body would have been trying to regulate everything you just put in it. So it's not like you were stuck in a loop, but it it has to try and find, you know, balance. So it it just keeps trying to rebalance and working to rebalance. Meanwhile, your body's metabolizing the medicine, so you would have had its effect. But each time your body tries to regulate it, you're balancing a little bit more and then a little bit more. So slowly you're coming back to normal. But you don't just, like, come down on it. You know what I mean? Like, your body has to go through a process. 
No, I know. So you're probably feeling the healing process or the, the, the downregulation process, but it didn't just instantly go away. So that, I can't imagine it would have felt comfortable. No, it was probably one of the worst experiences of my life. Yeah. <laughs> it was a really stupid thing to do. And then after that, um, there were a few times where I was, you know, and a lot of this, um, just to clarify, like a lot of people that uh, have ADHD, autism, can be prone to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Self-medicating with substance abuse. Sure. Um, my drug of choice was probably mostly alcohol, but also weed for a bit. But I feel like weed is such a more benign substance. It is. It's more like if you overdo it, you know, you're probably going to have a bad night at home by yourself. If you're an idiot like me and doing that by yourself. Um, but with alcohol, like I feel like there's a, a point where I'm like, man, I feel, I feel really good. And then at, in the morning or whenever, you know, cause I can just, I can, unfortunately, I think being Irish, I can drink a lot. Yeah, you can. Not and, that. And much more than most people to feel like a buzz. And then I'm like buzzed. And then I'm like, oh, I could drink more. Yeah, and you did. You tested that limit. So, I mean, it's not like it didn't have the same impact on your liver and you didn't. It's like you were immune to getting drunk. It's just you did. It just didn't feel the same, but I, I mean, I was still like losing control. Right. Well, and you were drinking. The amount that you were drinking is far more than like most people on a daily basis. So I'm just saying, yeah. I think I think you could tolerate more than than most. But well, you, were you know, also people are always like, I could drink you under the table. And I'm like, mm, not me. <laughs> right. I see people have a couple beers and they're like, I'm buzzed. And I'm like, how? <laughs> well, and it's interesting because with autism, because there's so much of the social aspect that's you're kind of a little bit more isolated, you do, you have a little bit more insulation from peer pressure. So on one hand, the studies show that with your with autism, you're a little bit less likely to you are less likely to be peer pressured into drinking. However, the caveat to that is because you have a routine driven neurology like I was just going to say it became a ritual. Exactly. Even on even as I would like try to talk myself out of going to the liquor store. Right. It become habit. Like, I was just like. I need to stop. I have to stop at the liquor store. Like it's part of my routine. Yeah. Like very like robotic and like numb feeling. And I would literally like battle myself to not go and buy alcohol. And it went on for years. So yeah. it wasn't just an easy thing. And years without talking about it. So. I mean, I was drinking to the point of blacking out probably at least every other night. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. But before then, I mean, and it, it, before it got to that part, before you got to the point where you were blacking out, because you were not always drinking hard alcohol. No, because for the for, I was like super healthy when I met you. You were super healthy. You were exercising. You were getting your brain drugs other places. It uh, it wasn't until we moved, and you figured you know there was that liquor store that was in walking distance. So what started out as a walking ritual, gave you a destination to walk to, which was the liquor store. So 
you inadvertently linked a positive ritual to a challenging ritual and they became a really solid ritual that was really hard for you to break. Even when we moved states, you still were able to recreate the ritual. Well, one of the, a guy I worked with um, at a job I hated, he, he's like, I'm going to go home and pound a couple tall boys and go to bed. And I was like, what does that mean? He's like, tall boys. And I was like, what's a tall boy? Like now I'm very familiar with what a tall boy is. You know, right. it's one of those, it's a literally a tall can of beer. Right. And uh, so it's like, I think it's the equivalent, I think it's 24 ounces. So it's like the equivalent of two beers of so four beers if you drink two of them. That's so much. I mean, it's so much for me, but I, I mean, I'm one glass of wine kind of a person. Yeah. I'm more of a six beers kind of guy. There's a study in Sweden that suggests that people with autism um, who have average or above average intelligence quotients or IQs, so interesting that you started the conversation this way, are more than twice as likely to become addicted to alcohol or other drugs as their peers are. The risk is even higher for people who also have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, or as I like to call it, um, a dick huge disorder. <laughs> no, I was going to say a dopamine heart disorder. Oh. Um, heart in the emotional sense not the biological sense sure um but it's a dopamine disorder basically this study is the first to look at the general risk for addiction among people with autism um other research is also finding unexpected biological and psychological commonalities between the two conditions these two fields have really developed independently but i think there could be a lot more cross-fertilization says patrick rothwell assistant process <laughs> assistant professor of neuroscience at the University of Minnesota Twin City in Minneapolis. Um, apparently in 2016, Rothwell opened a lab focused on studying the biological and behavioral parallels between addiction and autism. Um, and there's also a compulsory part of this because the brain, your brain can be so... So you have both, right? So you have the, the ADHD, which is always so searching for dopamine. And you don't get it from... You don't... You don't because your brain doesn't naturally produce a lot of dopamine or if it does, you know, you're either too high of too, or too low, but your brain's constantly looking for a dopamine hit makes you more susceptible to searching for alcohol for that because it's something you can readily acquire in most right. cultures. But the compulsory part, like the, you know, OCD and, and autism have similar neurochemistry in the fact that they kind of get that, the brain kind of convinces them you have to have it. Like it's that part of the, the fixation, the rigidity, the, um, I have a thought I have to have, I have to execute my thought, you know, that inflexibility we work with it with deck Declan, you know, at any age, there's that part of the brain that, that makes us expectation based that doesn't pivot very well. So when you, when you start the process with an impulse to go fix the dopamine and you like the alcohol cause it's readily accessible. It's socially cool. It, you know what I mean? Like it, I guess so. And well, it is socially cool. I mean, it's every single, there's not one commercial out there that shows you how bad alcohol can be for you. Everyone's like in a big group of friends and they all have sunglasses on and cool clothes yeah, get and they're all happy. Get shit faced responsibly. Yeah, so they paint this image of one side of it, which we know isn't fully accurate. So there's that conditioning in the back of your mind, plus the fact that you just now want it because it might be the only thing in the day that A, you feel like you have control over, and B, you feel like actually gives your body 
a response that you like, which is calming down or a little disconnection or a little disassociation, which is not easy for an autistic mind because you can be so heavily fixated on the things that you, on your routine and your structure and your thought processes. So it adds up real fast um, to addiction challenges. Yep. I wasn't sure if you had anything else to say. That's why I left that pause. Oh, thank you. No, you keep going. I'll add in. Well, I don't remember what I was talking about now. You were talking about your routine of how you started out oh. with walking and then that would lead to you every day getting off work and your routine was just to go to the store. And I think that actually started before the drinking because you had access, you lived across the street from a grocery store and you could walk to your grocery store, which is irregular for a lot of people. Um, but was a part of your normal routine and it was a healthy part of your routine. And so you're used to walking into a store every single day right? and buying what you needed for dinner that night. So that created this neural pathway with, I need something, I'm going to go to the store. It's accessible. It's easy. It's safe. I'm going to go do that. Um, and then over time it translated into this other as the, as you needed stronger coping mechanisms and didn't feel like you were in a safe place to ask for help. Well, and that's the part that's probably the hardest to talk about because for the longest time, you know, Rochelle thought I had a brain tumor and she was like, are you drinking? I was like, no. So, so she was like, well, clearly he has a brain tumor. Because I believed you. I had I know. no. I, I feel terrible. Well, I mean, it's not necessarily. All and what's hard is that the whole time I was like, please catch me. I was so naive. I mean, you're talking about, I mean, an eighth generation in Mormon. my family, Mormon. Yeah, we I know, don't. my mom's the one that came over one day and was like, he's drinking. Oh, your mom, the funny thing about it is your mom moved states to be near us. And it was her second time over to the house since she moved. And she walked right in and you went for one of your walks to go get a beer. And you came back 15 minutes later and you were drunk. And I don't, I mean, I all I knew is, oh, here's that brain tumor again kicking in where it's like a light switch where one minute you're coherent and the next minute you're not. And I just adapted to the chaos <clears throat> And she looked at you and she goes, you've been drinking. And I was like, what the hell? But your, but your mom is, is, has experience understanding alcohol related symptoms. And I don't. Right. I mean, I, I could not have been less prepared if I had tried. Like, I'm just so generationally unprepared for alcoholism that I, I never recognized it. So I had no way to catch you. And you were too good at hiding the can. Like, you made sure to come back with a can of beer. So as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, you would buy the liquor at the liquor store and down it there and come back with a beer so that all I would assume you were drinking was the beer. That sounds about right. So the only thing... I wasn't drinking it at the liquor store. I was drinking it like by the dumpster. Or on the way home and then And then just ditching. Like yeah. throwing it in the trash. Well, see, I'm a trusting person. Well, you know what's... You know, and you know the weirdest part about the whole thing is I would like, like I said, I was just like... I really want you to find out. But when she did ask you and you did break down and admit it, it didn't stop. Yeah, because it's hard. <laughs> okay. Because she found that out in what, 2017? I don't remember. It was it was twenty it was February or early March of twenty seventeen. You weren't even on ADHD medication at that time yet. Right. Now that's part of it, obviously, because you didn't you were just be 2017. 
February 2017. You, you had not, we did not know you were ADHD at that time. We did not find out that you were ADHD. Maybe were you? No, my dad died. I don't remember when exactly. Hang on, hang on. My dad, 26, my dad died in February of 2017. You didn't find out you could be ADHD until May, early June of 2017. And you didn't get on medication until February of 2018. So you were 100% without a single diagnosis. You didn't have an anxiety, a depression, an autism, or an ADHD diagnosis. All you knew is that life felt really hard at night. And to cope with it, you created a routine to a substance that was supposed to help calm your body down, calm your nervous system. Right. That's all you knew. We didn't know anything then. That's true. Yeah, that's the math. But it doesn't change that it was happening and that I knew, I don't know, dude, I can't tell you like mentally like what it does to you to... uh to do what I did. Well, and then on top of it, what makes this even more complicated, not so much with weed, but definitely with alcohol and partially because alcohol has to be metabolized by the liver and our liver is a, um, so when I say the word emotions, I also want to simultaneously say the word hormones because our emotions are created by hormonal responses in the body. So the liver is a very key part of our body's ability to process and manage certain hormones or emotions. And a lot of times the ones that are connected to liver are anger and shame. So on top of this cascade, this slippery slope that you've set up for yourself, you're also creating, because you know you're hiding it from me, and you shouldn't be doing it, but you don't know why you're compelled to do it. You're creating this this shame cycle that you're inadvertently putting yourself in every single time you go buy more alcohol. You're adding to the shame and adding to the shame. Processing emotions not necessarily your natural forte. Um, it's not a natural forte for, for most autistic individuals or ADHD individuals. It's part of, and it's it's not being critical. It's a byproduct of living in chronic fight or flight, just straight up. Nobody processes emotion while living in chronic fight or flight. I don't care if you're neurodivergent or neurotypical, nobody processes emotion in chronic fight or flight. So you're adding to the shame emotion, which is a very big, deep emotion to process. And every day it's getting bigger and bigger and you have less and less capacity to handle that piece too. That's a big deal. Right. Basically making the whole situation bigger and more. What's the word? Like it's too heavy. Like you're building a boulder. You won't be able to get out from underneath. Kind of inadvertently crushing yourself under this, under the weight of this process. Yeah. Yeah. How did you handle it? Like, what do you remember about the nights? What do you mean? How did I handle it? How do you, how did you handle the nights? Like, I know you stated it was part of your routine. I'm getting off work. Now I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to buy a liquor and I'm going to drink it before I get home. And I'm going to walk in with a can of beer. That part I know. What was the rest of the night like for you? Because I know my side of the experience, but I don't know yours. I mean, it depends on like 
my state of mind, you know, like if it was, because there were plenty of times when I was in a good mood. Yeah. And no one would have noticed except for I was probably being louder than normal. And a little more like sloppy, if you will, kind of yeah, slurred and kind of, yeah, you know, just a little more, just not. You know, fun. <laughs> it wasn't always fun. All right. But you, I mean, you're actually funnier when you're not um, intoxicated than when you are. You're just less anxious about it. So you think you're funnier. Like you enjoyed yourself more, but you're actually funnier when you're you're totally yourself. Oh, well. To each their own. I like that. Drunk Blake is my favorite Blake, as far as when I'm funny. Okay. Did you feel like anxious? Did you feel less anxious? Oh, less anxious. And how did it impact your sleep? I mean, I was sleeping great because I was passing out. <laughs> okay. Um, fair point. How did you wake up the next morning? It depends. Um, some like a lot of times I would be hung over and then other times I would feel fine. See, and I didn't recognize what hungover looks like. I know. I know. I'm a total Ricky. But I didn't. I just kept thinking you were sick. Like, oh my gosh, why is he so sick? And you were sick to your stomach or you'd have the jitters or, you know, like you just couldn't. And I, of course, now you say hungover and I'm like, well, I've been hungover a few times in my life. I wish I would have connected that dot, but it just didn't occur to me. Um, now you were doing this during the period where you were out of work too, right? Where you went, where you added energy drinks and insomnia to this? I don't remember. That period is a blur. So I remember eight, you'd be up for like 36 hours in a row. I made the mistake of showing you, uh, 24 and Kiefer Sutherland. Oh yeah. And then you binged all the seasons. I did all 24 of them. Yeah, almost back to back. How to many back. seasons of 24 were there? I don't even remember. Nine, ten, something like that. Okay. But you would be up for 36 hours straight. You'd be on energy drinks. You'd be on alcohol at night. You'd still manage to stay awake. And then you'd sleep for 18 hours after that. And that went on for several months. Uh, partied like a rock star. Didn't get paid like one. Nope. Um. Do you remember? I know you said you don't remember that time period. But do you remember feeling like progressively different over time because when this habit started it was 2013 ish okay it was about 2013 when it started yeah i don't remember exactly what started it it's like anything else like you start a habit and it just gets you know it get it goes you know it gets it gets worse it can get worse and worse over time right you're like oh i'm gonna grab a beer it's like well i'm probably gonna i'm gonna grab a six pack like well i don't know if a six pack is enough i'm gonna grab like a half pint of something or like oh i'm gonna grab a pint of something it's like well i need that and beer and a shooter that's where you that's where you got to was a pint and a shooter and a beer I don't remember exactly. So what I, I so what you're saying is it was just a gradual progression. I know it was a gradual progression on what you chose to buy each day, but what I was asking was more like, did you feel progressively worse and that's why you were buying more or was it just about trying to get back to that feeling that you're... Oh, buying? yeah. It's always about trying to get to the feeling where you can kind of like drink just the right amount. Just to whatever kind of that relax. whatever whatever that means. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, because that it's like if 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 the first, you know, if someone turned twenty one and they like, you know, maybe had a couple beers at parties and stuff, and then they drank as much as I was drinking. No, they, there's no way they yeah. would be fucked up. <laughs> yeah, agreed, agreed. Well, no, because you build up a tolerance, like everything, your body adapts. Yeah. Your body adapts to everything, including living in chronic fight or flight, doesn't adapt well. It's actually called maladaptive, so it means you suck at adapting, but that's, that's, <laughs> you're supposed to suck at adapting to negative things. You're not supposed to get better at it. It's supposed to take a toll. Right. Um, well, it, 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 but it I has. I just don't remember. So by the time we were in the final, like, really critical months where life was imploding at dangerous rates, that's where you were at the pint and a shooter and a beer. But by then, your ability just to even come home from work had dissipated. It had de-evolved to the point of like instant fighting. Just walking in made you anxious and and critical. But I don't remember it being that way before. So like... Do you think that's the buildup of the alcohol? Do you think that's the buildup of what? Because let's just pause for a second. So as you were building up to these higher amounts of alcohol, you were also by then on ADHD medication. You were. And the wrong ADHD medication. Yeah, very, very wrong. Because you were diagnosed with ADHD in 2018. And by this point, we were at 2020. So you've had two years of the wrong medication. Right. On top of alcohol increases. So was there any way to tease apart? And your sleeping was was horrible. Like you weren't getting. I don't know which was which, honestly. You couldn't tease them apart like. I know that I've had alcohol since then and I don't take that medication anymore and it doesn't affect me the same way. I mean, most of the time that. And now I just don't. I, now I just have a limit. And you're able to maintain it? Yeah. The limit? So you don't have that kind of compulsory... No, because I I always... I just... I feel like... I think of I think about my dad, and I think about Declan, and I'm just like, maybe just have two. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But are you getting that same calming effect on two, or you're just able to quell it at two? I mean... It just depends. And no, it's not the same calming effect. Meaning it doesn't really work? No, I mean, it, it helps a little bit. But um, I mean, the the point, the goal now is not to be like, oh, I need to drink. Right. I agree. That's what I'm saying. So when you're saying, does it help? Well, I guess when I'm, I'll be more specific. So does it help take that edge off in your body, that edgy feeling? I don't have as much of an edge anymore because of the medication that I'm on, but I, that's why, I've, like I've said, I feel kind of numb. So that's right. Okay, so thanks for bringing that around. So because the medication you're on now has less of an amped up feeling and more of a numb feeling, how does the alcohol feel to your body on a numb, like on a numb feeling? It just somewhat adds to the relaxing part of so it actually kind of probably gives you something to feel. Whereas instead of feeling numb, now you can actually feel something. I don't know. Oh, I thought I was really on a good point on that one. Sorry. No, I I, I feel like I just, on some days I feel like having a couple beers and, and I'm just like, oh, this is good. 
Do you know that if you switched to wine, you would dramatically impact for the better your blood glucose levels and calorie count because wine has 3.9 calories compared to like 13 or 14 of beer and doesn't spike your blood glucose whereas beer does okay significantly spike your blood glucose and i bring up blood glucose for several reasons because blood glucose is required for say that three times fast you're having a rough time with that one. blood glucose blood that's not fast blood glucose (laughs) i couldn't do do it. it But it, it does spike. So blood glucose is a big deal, right? Because part of that's how your brain gets nutrients. Your brain needs glucose in order to function. Um, blood brain glucose issues, otherwise known as Alzheimer's and dementia, are a problem. And the more you're spiking your blood glucose levels on a regular basis, the more you're creating insulin resistance. So insulin resistance means that you're not actually converting your insulin to use for energy and things like brain power. Now you're converting it into fat, which is just creating that blah feeling, but also wrecking your metabolism. So that creates a whole other cascade effect. If your brain isn't able to um, properly use the nutrients to actually like build your brain and function. So it's entirely possible that even now, whatever beer or ciders you are drinking are doing damage to your brain. Whereas if you did that same amount of alcohol and switched it to wine, the resveratrol in the wine, if it's red wine. I think you're supposed to not encourage someone to drink when they drink too much. (laughs) I'm not encouraging you to drink. I'm not encouraging you to change drinking. I would love for you to stop drinking. But if you do drink, from a health perspective and a brain perspective, you would do because because you're autistic. You already have insulin resistance issues okay so switching to wine pour me a glass of wine then motherfucker (laughs) (laughs) we drank it all at the last podcast yeah there you go um but if you switched everything over to wine you would do far better for yourself and the alcohol wouldn't have nearly as a destructive impact on your body your liver still has to process it like it would the beer but it wouldn't have the extra carbs and the blood the blood blood what am I saying? Blood glucose spike. Yeah, the blug. Maybe that's what we should call it for short. <laughs> blood sucks. glucose. Blug for short. Man, I was so good. I was getting through it. Well, blug. Okay. Thanks, brain. Yeah. Um, but that's my point. Like, try switching to wine. Okay. And I would. What I would I really. Don't, I don't really love wine. What's the, the? I like the taste of like the ciders and the beers. Because they're sweeter. No, just I just like enjoy the flavor of them. Okay, well, but with a chemically sensitive body like you have and a chemically sensitive brain like you have, there comes a point where you've got to, it would be wise to start factoring in more than just taste into the th- into your decision-making process because just like you have to be more mindful of the chemicals in processed food or in the GMOs or whether you're buying organic or not, all the chemicals your body is forced to process are going to be harder for your body because you're living in chronic fight or flight and you have an autistic neurology biology. So, and it, it's not much easier with ADHD all either from a neurology standpoint, biology standpoint, it's definitely more difficult. This applies to OCD, bipolar, all the neurodivergencies. All right, everyone get your wine glasses out. It's time to party. 
But if you do choose wine, I have also learned as a 25-year migraine um, survivor, the wine that is grown and made in the U.S. cannot be trusted. Like, it, because of because of what because of Monsanto. Yeah, yeah. There's 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 a higher chemical. I don't know if a lot of people know that Monsanto is the one that actually created Agent Orange. I bet most people don't. I know it's famous for being Roundup, and now it's been bought out by a German company, so that the name changed, but. Um, Monsanto is responsible for the GMOs and for many things, but the, they have tested domestic wine almost in every region that the U S produces wine and Monsanto chemicals have been found in the wine. All right. So I, I will only, even in restaurant, I don't care where I, I will only drink, you know, international wine. I won't drink domestic. Look how fancy you are. I don't want the chemicals. I mean, for me, it was a, it was an instant migraine. If I drank U.S. wine, I can't. It's just an instant migraine. I can't process the chemicals. Yeah, Rochelle would be like, oh, give me some wine. Make sure it's from Argentina, which makes me look like an asshole because I look like I do. And I walk into the place <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, do you have any Argentinian wines? Chile is good too. Spain is good. Yeah. Australia is from- good. France and Italy are always good wines. Yeah. We can get some ice fine. Hey, you know, there are several countries I would prefer wine from. Just I won't Germany drink. has really good wine, by the way. They do. No, I'm not opposed to it, actually. In Germany, Germany, France, there's multiple countries who have, have a total ban on some of these chemicals. Yeah. Um, and it's a big deal that they have a ban on these chemicals. Uh, France and Italy are also in, on that list. So if you're... I th- I, we were talking about addiction and now you're encouraging people to drink. I'm not. What I'm encouraging people to do is know the chemicals and not put more chemicals in your body. That's because right. what we the running theme, the reason why I bring up the chemicals is because whether you're getting chemicals purposefully from a substance that you're that you're knowingly ingesting or you are you can inadvertently get the same kind of addiction to these processed chemicals and not understand why or where and and if you if you're not feeling well, you won't even know what to start cutting out. So you got to know the impact of chemicals on a chemically sensitive body. You're just making things harder. I just want to eat what I want, well, drink what I want. I know, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This you don't uh, look sorry. Well, we haven't been really kind on the human body in the last hundred years. Many of the technological advancements have also totally crumbled <laughs> our global health care or our state of health. It's it's not good. So we have to be very mindful. And the thing about it is the only reason that it sounds and feels really difficult is because it's not already a ritual you've adopted for yourself. Right? Because if it's your ritual, you you almost have to complete it. You're compelled to complete your own ritual. So if you had adopted this as a ritual, it wouldn't be hard for you. Right. Yeah, it's easier said than done. Because of chemical dependence, which is... I could have a ritual of working out. You were doing really well when you were doing that. I know, I was. And then I met you, and I got fat. <laughs> which is awkward, because I I went all out on a limb to make sure you had access to my apartment's gym right off the bat. So that I couldn't be, you know, accused of disrupting your gym's 
uh, routine. Yeah. I, I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying that, like, there were a few things that I was used to doing, and it just, you know, just kind of threw me off. Well, and what, I mean, this was one of my first clues, but I had no idea. It was like a post-it note in my brain, but I had no idea what it meant, is that, yes, you had access to our gym. Our gym was nice. It was a small gym. And if one other person was in the gym, you were uncomfortable being in there. And I didn't understand why you were so socially, like, why that boundary was so big for you. Like, you had to have a big perimeter of space before you felt comfortable working out in front of other people. And and so now, of course, we understand the social aspects and the um, and the, the privacy Right. But we didn't know that back then. We just knew you were straight up uncomfortable. So I, I didn't know how to fix that problem. Well, how would you fix it now that you know? But I just wear a sign that says he's autistic. No, because Get I the fuck out of our gym. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I don't believe you should have to walk around and tell everyone your medical history. I have, you know, like there's um, there, there should be a uh, we should all have shirts that say autism first, meaning like we get to cut in front of the line and <laughs> uh, we basically just, you know. We're we're in, because we have to deal with all your crap, so then we should be able to get in front of the line and and shit like that. Front of the line passes for everyone. It's definitely an idea. I mean, there's a reason why there's a constant constant feel like there's a battle of needs, is because you know there's a everyone has different needs and they often conflict. It's true. We bought you a treadmill so you didn't have to compete with anyone else yeah and i would use it if it was pointed at the tv but it's not it's pointed it, it it fits on a different wall so i can't use it properly we're back to that you never no that's literally the reason that i don't use the treadmill because i can't see the t because i need something to watch mm-hmm. while i'm walking like at the gym you can see because they have tvs up in front of you but i know where your treadmill is and you can just look over at the tv no, because every time I do, I walk toward the TV and then I fall off the fucking treadmill. Oh, yeah, yeah. you do. Okay, so your phone on the panel? No, I can't do that either because I can't see. Okay. Well, so you're setting up a pretty narrow line of things that have to be exact. In I order. know. So I that's the struggle, my friend. Yep. That's that rigidity in your thinking. And I'm not criticizing you for it. It's just let's call a spade a spade. That, it, that rigidity in your process is legit. It is a real aspect of being autistic. It is it complicates your ability to problem solve because you've got to fit your solution into a very specific narrow sequence. And nine times out of ten the solutions aren't gonna fit. Some chick that I was talking to told me that I should do mushrooms. I've never done mushrooms. Like or she said I should microdose mushrooms. Um because it would help me with like my anxiety or something. I was like, dude, the idea of doing mushrooms makes me super anxious. Yeah. I know when you first said that I was like flashback to, to high school, college where everyone was doing psychedelic mus- mushrooms. But now that's what they are. Now, when you say doing mushrooms, not doing mushrooms, but now they're bringing back a lot of the healing properties of actual mushrooms and fungi. Yeah. What's it called? Psilocybin. Oh, I don't know. I I know nothing in this area. This is part of my Mormon training. I know nothing. But but one of the things that's deeply missing from our soil, if you're studying soil science, which I'm starting to break into soil science, is that we're missing the bacteria and the fungi and some of the properties of um, 
mushrooms in the soil and how that is supposed to actually help our bodies from a nutrient standpoint gain a stronger chemical resiliency to just process everyday foods. So I don't agree with the psychedelic mushrooms, but if there were a way you could get the healthy bound mushrooms back in your system, you might actually calm your nervous uh, don't system. Don't you remember, you sent me an article about the psilocybin or psilo... Let me see it. I have to see the Psilocybin mushroom. I have a visual memory. Oh, I sure did. And they're saying that some therapists are now, because it's legal in certain areas, or they're trying to test it out, that they're testing this... Um. I think for for anxiety, but I thought it was for autism as well. Well, but remember, so the fungi, the mushrooms are missing in the soil science, so they've pr- actually proven, and the research is continuing to come out um, in mic- multiple... It, it's microdosing. Right, because it's it's not the psychedelic mushroom. Like no, it's not it is getting the same mushroom. It's just you're not doing like the full amount. Like right, because you you're not would. trying to get high. You're trying to heal your body. So they've been right. pulling the mushrooms out of the soil and the fungi out of the soil. So the actual, if you go into soil science shows, that we're missing the healthy bacteria and the fungi. So that's not creating the chemical properties in that the healing parts of the plants and the healing parts of the food. So our food, the whole food is medicine movement, is missing the mushrooms from the soil so the food is not as medicinal as it should be because we have screwed with the soil science f- since 1945 at least in this Don't country psychedelic mushrooms come from like shit the fertilized by by animal products because it's also i mean that's what a lot of the fertilizer is supposed to be is animal products and our fertilizer we're going back to monsanto you mentioned being the first guy that saw like a big piece of crap with a mushroom sticking out of it and was like I wonder if that's good. I'm going to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. It was a white dude. With I'm sure. In a wife beater. <laughs> I don't care if it was 500 years ago. <laughs> it was a white dude wearing a wife beater somehow. I'm going to try it. <laughs> well, and to clarify, when you say that, that's a white, it's just a white tank to under. Oh, under I guess sh- not, not everyone knows what a wife beater is. A t-shirt. It's a, that's a slang term for just a white under tank top. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry for anyone that's offended, but that's just what they're called. Right. Right. But I think in order to wear that, don't you have to like, like your pants have to be down below your hips or something like. To wear, I used to wear wife beaters as undershirts. They are undershirts. I know, but I mean, not when you're a redneck or like white trash, like you wear them like as a shirt shirt. You're just offending all the people. That's, that's white, that's white trash formal wear. (laughs) Okay. I'm, hey, I'm, I'm white. I'm allowed, I I come from white trash. I'm allowed to talk about my own people. Okay. Okay. Well, that's, you have, yeah, you do have family in. And anyone that is, there's anyone that's like, if you're wearing a wife beater right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're good. I'm just joking. Yeah. You're not, you're not trying to. I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings, but if I do, it's an accident. Okay, that's fair. So I like don't be worried about like the people wearing it. This is too much tank top talk. Tank tank talk top. Tank top talk. Man, I can't say that. I'm not even gonna try. <laughs> I don't tank know what's gonna come out of my mouth. Talk. Man, I can't say that one time slow. Yeah. Well, Let try alone. blood glucose. No, you mean blood. Okay, I'm never going to live that down. It's like cum pum pie. I tried really hard to say pumpkin pie once. And if you're not... Who wants bring- a slice of cum pum pie? <laughs> I, 
I tried so hard. You just threw, oh my God, why'd you even bring that up? I forgot about cum pum pie. Because if you're not throwing it in my face, my sister does. Does she really? Yeah, because she was there that night. Oh, that's right. That so, was funny. Yeah. If one of the two of you is not embarrassing me with that every other month or so. Cum pum pie. Sounds so, delicious. Man, you're making me hungry. So what other things? Okay, so we know that there's a strong addiction to substance abuse. Yeah. There's an addiction, whether you know it or not, to food chemicals. Okay. Um, although you can be too sick. But that's not the kind of addiction that we're really talking about in this episode. Oh, well, I mean, I, I, okay. I'm talking about the struggle to deal, to manage, like, uh, substance addiction. Okay, but I would argue that sugar and gluten and dairy are also substances that qualify in that category now a different type of category but those substances i mean there's different types of addictions but i'm just saying like that's you can you can say like someone could be overweight and like have like a food addiction because like they're eating like sugar and junk food and stuff like that and that could be their type of addiction versus you know they're they're feeding their feelings with food whereas i'm and that's one way eating mine with like alcohol or okay but add right attention deficit um, or dopamine deficit, what happens when you use it, let's say you, okay, you're searching for dopamine. So let's say you, you turn on your video games and you play for 30 minutes. Okay, well now you've just burned up all your dopamine. So now the fastest way for you, whether you know this or not, to go replenish your dopamine is to go hunt down some carbs. Because now you're going to hunt down some carbs and it's going to spike your serotonin and then you're off to the races. And so once again, the foods that you eat are just as chemically sensitive and substance abuse um, in nature as wheat or alcohol or, you know, other types of options. Mm. So I disagree. If you're carb loading without burning the carbs, you're going for the sugar. Sugar they found is more um, self-harming maybe, um, but I don't even think that's true. Because if someone was like, I'm eating a lot of bread, and someone's like, I'm drinking a lot of booze, I'm pretty sure the doctor's going to be like, uh, booze guy. Well, mm-hmm. for there's a there's a concern for liver health, right? The gluten is going to destroy your gut, and it's going to destroy your intestines, so leaky gut's a problem. Um, it's going to destroy your immune system because- Leaky butt? Leaky gut. Oh, leaky gut. Your immune system What's is that? actually... Did you know that the bulk of your immune system is in your gut? Like it's formulated in your gut. So if you've got a gut that's completely inflamed with with gluten and dairy and all the sugar crap and, and now you, and you're always in fight or flight, so your immune system's never actually in like the restorative phases and your immune system's just always in attack and at the same time being triggered by the, by the food substances... I mean, it says it can be as damaging as certain other substances. They, I think they all count as substance abuse. Okay. I'm going to go spank some sandwich. <laughs> but look look how many times you... Pref- you get it? Substance abuse? I'm going to spank some sandwich. I get it. <laughs> I get it. Okay. Um, Look at Declan even. I mean, the one he has access to that he thinks he can get a hold of is sugar. Right. You do let him have a lot of sugar. No, I really don't let him have a lot you of sugar. You let him have that cookie today. Oh, because at that point, I mean, I sell, we, we go through hell at the grocery store. He gets told no a lot. And so those are not, you know, but at that point I had to make a choice to preserve his ability to eat dinner because he wasn't going to eat at that point. So no, it was a, it was a battle 
I had to pick my battles. I win a lot of them. I lost that one. All right. What about spending? Are you going after those kinds of addictions too? Like the habit, like the shopping and spending habits? Or are you just going straight for like the more... I mean, we can talk about that. Because you've had a lot of experience with those too. I buy a lot of movies. I own a lot of movies. They call me. They don't call me Blakebuster for nothing. That is true. I must have a thousand movies. That is true. So, anyone want to buy some movies? <laughs> would you even sell them? I couldn't sell the digital ones. No, but would you? You wouldn't want to. I no. I like that. I like having them. But would you ever sell the? I mean, the second, DVD, third the, copies that you have on disc. The DVDs and the Blu-rays and stuff. I yeah. mean, yeah. Like I don't know if those are even worth selling anymore. Because now, like, no one has disc players. Everything's digital. Right. So uh, just a big, big stack of cash that's useless. But spending is another way to, one, feel like you're in control, two, get that dopamine hit. Um, spending is something that I watched Declan do. He, I want to go to the store. I want to go to the store. Mom, let's go to the store. We don't have that. Let's go to the store. I will say there were times, like, when I would, um, on nights, if I was if I was drinking, like, and I would go into my um, account where I have all my movies. And I'd, there'd be like a sale. Forget about it. Yeah, you'd buy it really fast. I would just be like, boom, purchased, boom, purchased, yeah. boom. Spending bad. is a really. I'm like, I, I've been gotten, I've gotten way better about that, which is weird because now I have no money. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why. Yeah. But um, I, in recent years, I've been a lot better about not doing that because I'm just like trying to save money. Well, you've been working on. So the more you heal your brain from fight or flight. I'm not suggesting you can necessarily, you know, I'm not saying you can heal autism and ADHD, especially in one generation, but I'm saying heal your brain from fight or flight, which you can do in your generation. You do regain some impulse control because that's brain chemistry also, but you can, you know, get that to where you want it. Yeah. Yo. So what would your advice be to someone who might be today where you were before? So let's break it down differently. What would you say to someone who is in the process of discovering like they might be this or that and they're kind of in that self-discovery before an official diagnosis and they're just they just know that they're struggling and they don't exactly know why and they're just looking for solutions to help them feel better and sleep at night but they might not be making healthy choices like how would you help someone that's in that phase i want to say something funny but i maybe it's not the right time um no i don't know because it makes me uncomfortable um don't do it uh well yeah. no, knowing the struggle that they're probably into right all the questions they have well that's no the thing answers. i think the, the biggest thing is you know you're it's so going to be so specific to a specific to a, a person because you know if they're living with someone and they were doing what i was doing then like it's not just like oh i'm drinking it's like oh like my whole life could be changing by saying that this is happening by saying that the, the, the addiction's happening? Yeah. Like you were afraid I was going to leave because of it? Leave and then I'd have to move and then like, you know, I don't know. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Like everything, every little tiny like thing a, that could happen was what I was thinking 
would happen. And so then I was like. So you couldn't say anything. Couldn't say anything. You couldn't risk rocking the boat because you'd imagined the worst outcome. Was guaranteed. Is that what happened? I mean, it's not worked out great. Did I leave right away? Did I leave in 2017? Nope. You gave me hope and then took it away. <laughs> <laughs> Do we sit here today? Yeah, but I mean, we're not together, so. The, I mean, healing takes time. I mean, have I ever just completely crucified you for it or, or have, have in some way have I continued to help you? Yeah, I mean, you've helped me, but I'm just, I'm saying that there's like, like, we don't have a romantic relationship. That's the only thing we don't have. We have a very healthy friendship. We are very healthy co-parents. We are healthy family members. The only thing we don't have back. What I'm saying is one of the things that it, I mean, us being in the situation that we're in right now is because I was drinking and because of the medication, but probably uh, you know both yes that's true the medication was a big problem but feeling lied to about the medic about the drinking is that's what i'm saying so if i wasn't drinking there would be nothing to lie about right so that's what i'm saying we're sitting here today having this conversation because of me it's not entirely because of you, but that That's is right. You're your, to blame. That is your part of it. That is, it's <laughs> not because you had undiagnosed thing. It's not because of what the diagnosis were. It's just because at the time we both went through hell and then we both need to base. And quite frankly, like if we take it back a little bit, yes, the fact that you didn't tell me the truth was crushing. The fact that you did get to found out by your mom and you continued to drink was crushing. But at the same time, I know enough about neuroscience and neurochemistry to know that you were struggling once you get on that train. Like, I know that there's a biological um, component that makes it difficult to get off. I understand that. We didn't know about how autism and ADHD would play into that, making it even worse. Those are all things that were true. But... What it really became for me was this overwhelmingly losing battle of needs where I didn't feel like I was in a safe place if I expressed my needs because then my needs would directly conflict with your needs and you were in a hypersensitive, volatile state where if I had a need that conflicted with yours, that was just a conflict trigger and boom, fight or flight, there you'd go. So then I didn't feel safe. But I also didn't, we didn't come into our relationship in a healthy way Re before substance and diagnosis and anything. We didn't come in and say, these are my needs. Oh, great. These are my needs. Oh, great. Let's work together to meet both of our needs. That's self-advocation. We didn't, neither one of us did that. So our foundation wasn't strong to begin with. The, the reason we've been neighbors successfully for two years is so that we've had our own four walls and our own responsibility for our chores and how we want to keep our houses and we needed to learn what our own needs were so we could come back together and successfully self-advocate if you don't know what your needs are you can't pretend someone else is going to know them I couldn't read your mind. You got mad at me like I couldn't read your mind that I didn't know what your needs are. And I was getting so mad that you were just 
steamrolling mine. And yet we both had to take responsibility for the fact that it's on me to communicate my needs as much as it's on you to communicate your needs. And when two people can come together and say, let's work mutually to create an environment where everyone's needs thrive, then that's a foundation that you can work through, especially with neurodivergence when you've got additional aspects to consider about how you can problem solve. So it's not just that you were drinking, although that made it more difficult. It didn't make it impossible. It's not like you haven't recovered. Make different choices. Yeah. But I'd like to point out you did so you were able to recover and you were able to make different choices because and not saying everyone has to, but but you had some very strong medical and mental health support to do so. But it was all up to me, ultimately. I'm the hero. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just kidding. No, I mean, you are, and it took a lot of vulnerability to admit to your doctors what you were really struggling with. Not just what you wanted them to know about you. You didn't, you had to pull the mask down in front of your psychiatrist and tell her the naked truth about everything that you were dealing with so that she could help you from a medication and support system aspect to balance the brain chemistry to put you on the road you're on now. Right. So it's in partnership. It's in partnership? Yeah, it's a partnership. You have to be willing to take the mask off and tell the truth so people can help you. That's what you did. Right. That's why we've been able to repair our relationship to the point where desperate we have. times call for desperate measures. <laughs> yeah, I mean, most relationship. Let's just let's just be honest about relationships. We don't know the nature of healthy relationships is changing. We've learned so much more about how to approach another person and still maintain your own sense of self. And there was no discussion of sense of self in previous relationship education for decades. There hasn't been a ton of information about it. It's been like, you know, almost codependency and clinging and all kinds of other things. It's it's not been this healthy, you know, whole person meets a whole person. It's not 50-50. It's like 90-90. You know, everyone's like, oh, relationships are 50%, 50%. Bullshit. It's like 90-90%. Everyone has to bring 90% of themselves to the to the table. And then we work out the other 10 together. Okay. So some people can be addicted to drama and addicted to trauma and addicted to chaos. And what are you addicted to? Talking. On that note, we'll talk to you next time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I'm, and I'm not, I'm just saying there's a lot of different brain and coffee. You're addicted to the coffee. Oh, big time. That that's emotional support at this point. Like let's. That's your emotional support animal. It That's my, yes, it is. <laughs> yes. The coffee bean. The coffee bean. Yes. I mean, I like Miho too for that, but the cat. Miho's a cat. Um, no, but, but there are chemical signatures that come with anger and, and, and being, 
traumatized or being victimized. And so there's a healthy way to process those things. But when it's been months and years and you're saying the same thing over and over again, that's that's a brain addiction to those those chemicals, those neurochemicals. That's also a type of substance abuse. Did you know that? Nope. Yep. What is? Being so trauma drama. Uh-huh. You can be you can be chemically dependent and chemically addicted to the brain chemistry. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Of of feeling like repeat trauma over. So people some people avoid processing trauma and their drama and their pro- and their their discrepancies with other people because they actually like if they ever actually resolved it they wouldn't have those brain chemicals that they've become like addicted to the brain has become addicted to it and so you'll find people who like every time their trauma or their drama gets resolved they go create more or like they just their filters are always they're always perceiving things as a fight even though there's no fight because in reality their brain is just as addicted to the neurotransmitters and the neurochemicals of anger and resentment and judgment and criticism like those are all it's all it's all chemistry it's all brain chemistry those are the more nuanced things uh, uh but when you talk about addiction they all count you are addicted to talking <laughs> <laughs> i'm addicted to sharing oh man you're ODing right now <laughs> okay it's um we're we're basically at time right now. Cool. Um did you have anything else you wanted to add? No. No. I think it, I'm proud of you for bringing this topic up. I know how much of your story you volunteered to share and and, and I just am proud of you. That's very brave of you to be this vulnerable and open. I'm going to go put my cape on and walk back to my apartment. Look at you minimizing my compliment. It's a compliment. I know. It is. I'm a sarcastic person, Rochelle. When are you going to learn that? How long have I known you? Yeah, true. I don't jive with sarcasm. Oh, I know. Jive? <laughs> what year is it? I was I was talking to my sister yesterday, the other day in the break room, and because, um, you know, we work together, and I was we were talking about a mutual client, and I was like... Um, I was like, oh, they were really angry today. They're fit to be tied. And she's like, fit to be tied? What the hell is that? Have you ever heard that phrase? Nope. Fit to be tied? You're the first one to ever say it. Huh. Huh. Okay. Did you make it up? No. I grew up with it. It just means too like too angry to be calmed down. Too fit to be tied. Really? Yeah. Huh. Okay. It sounds yeah. like my grandmother used to say better than a sharp stick in the eye. <laughs> okay. But that one makes sense. I mean, yeah. Fuck yeah, better than a sharp stick in the eye. Thanks, Grandma. <laughs> Logical. Okay, well, I'll have to look up. I don't know. I've just always grown up with it. I was shocked. When I she thought you said too fat to be tied. And I'm like, yeah, sometimes people are harder to kidnap. <laughs> no, it's too fit to be tied. Okay. That doesn't make sense. Okay. All right. Maybe I've memorized it wrong. Maybe I learned it wrong. Maybe. All right. All right. We'll be back. Um, oh, I'll- if you have any questions oh. about this topic or um other aspects you'd like us to cover on it because i think this is this is one that might spikes might spark some conversation okay please you know drop your posts in the facebook group or message us separately we've we've heard from um some of our some new listeners this week have reached out so we just really appreciate the messages that we got from josh and chris welcome you guys um and so as 
as if this topic brings up questions, please let us know. Let's talk about it. That's right. Send send your questions to Rochelle and your topless pics to Blake. <laughs> no. <laughs> Why do you hate that? I, I, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm just one time. You know what? I'm gonna have a fan. Maybe I'll have a crazy fan. Okay. Hopefully it's a chick. Okay. No dick pics, please, and no shirtless dudes. You guys are welcome to, you know, do that on your own, but I'm just saying, like, only the ladies for Blake. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I'm Blake. I'm Michelle. And we'll be back. Cue the music. <laughs> <laughs>